Welcome to episode 262 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review round three of the 2023 NRL season. We discuss John Sattler's passing and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 262 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I am your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Dr. T, I am doing well. Feeling a little sunburnt uh, after another, what what was it? I don't know if it was officially a heat wave or not. Um, But uh, yeah, but look... Uh, feeling pretty good, and uh, I think the you know just as hot as the weather has been the rugby league. So what what an awesome start to the season! Um, how about yourself, there, Doctor T? Yeah, I have to say, uh, you know, just to cl- for clarification out there, heat wave in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> you may be looking around and thinking, what are these blokes talking about? It's super cold here. No, it's uh, yeah, we've had a bit of a heat wave in Sydney. Mm. Uh, I think it's over now. I think it's uh, autumn has just started to kick in. I believe <laughs> just yeah. today, so it's a bit weird. But look, yeah. we've just had uh, the multicultural. Sorry, you go ahead. Oh no, no, no! Continue with the multicultural round. Yeah, the multicultural round. I thought, I thought, you know, this is, um, you know, the the perfect time to do a uh, to to try and get other cultures to follow rugby league is when mm. it's uh, sweltering heat outside. <laughs> When, when people would rather stay home in, in their swimming pools or whatever, but look, or, or get the old slip and slide out. I think that's what we need to do mm. during these uh, during these heat waves is uh, have some space in the stadium for a big old sup- slip and slide on the yeah. sidelines. How about that? Why don't we have a slip and slide and rugby league? Oh, uh, look, I, I think that's a great halftime entertainment idea, actually. Like, you know, maybe... Oh, I was uh, thinking throughout the whole game. Throughout the <laughs> We just, you just have fans if you want to go to go to the southern end of the whatever and mm. use a slip and slide, and at the end you can uh, get a free uh, super duper or something. You know, yeah, yeah. Not? Look, not not a bad idea, and I, and I know we're not the weather republic, right? But look, I, I've got a bit <laughs> of a, I've got I've, I've got a bit of a theory, Doctor T. I think what's happened is that uh, I think we're we're out of whack by one month. Like I think we're getting we had. Uh, you know, we had sort of uh, December weather in January. Then we've had, um, you know, sort of uh, February weather. Well, sorry, January weather in February, and then uh, February weather. And now we're having February weather in March because it doesn't feel like the summer has gone right. Um, you know, so but now it looks like we are almost to the end of March, and now autumn's kicking in. <laughs> you know, so. Not not sure what's happening. Um, you know, I don't know if people can deny that there are changes in weather events anymore because it's just yeah, it's just crazy at the moment. But look, I think um, yeah, and I think uh, I think even in terms of rugby league, I read something where, something about like um, uh, like due to the weather, we've broken 135 years of rugby league history, something like that. Um, uh, like to the amount of games played 
with the amount of temperature, something like that. I, I can't remember what it was exactly, but yeah, it's it's having an effect on the field as well. I do I do believe. I know I know some uh, coaches even getting a bit hot about it as well. <laughs> That's right. Are we uh, are we seeing lots of uh, you know extra drinks breaks as well potentially mm. in some games, which is which is always good. Got to look after the the players, but um, but yeah, look. Uh, Look, it's you. You know, whenever I hear you say we've, I've got a bit of a theory, you know that there's something interesting happening. So <laughs> that was yeah. a good. So you know, everything's shifted by a month. I blame, you know, look, I blame uh, one thing. It starts with a. It's not Albo, not Albanese, our prime minister. It's aliens. I think it's aliens have come in and. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, it's look, who knows? <laughs> That's right. It's Wayne Bennett. Something it's about like- Wayne Bennett. He's what the magic he has concocted this year. With the Dolphins. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that later. But look, let's dive into the footy. Let's dive into tackle number one, where we review round three, the multicultural round. All right. Manly defeated Parramatta 34 to 30. Uh, in uh, in that game on uh, Thursday, in front of thirteen thousand fans, uh, the Knights were defeated by the Dolphins, thirty six to twenty, in front of twenty thousand at McDonald Jones Stadium in Newcastle. The Roosters out uh, out survived the Rabbitohs uh, at the Friday night game at Allianz Stadium in front of 36,000 fans for that traditional clash. Well done there. The Titans, 38-34, uh, handing the Storm their second defeat in a row um, at Seabus wow. Super Stadium in front of 14,483. Unbelievable there. The Warriors, 26-12 over the Cowboys at Queensland Country Bank Stadium in front of 17,818. The Broncos continue their winning ways, 40-18 to 18 against traditional rivals, the St. George Illawarra Dragons, in front of 26,612 on a Saturday night game. That's different for at Suncorp Stadium. Well done, Broncos. Uh, the Bulldogs outlasting your Tigers, 26-22, at Belmore Sports Ground on a Sunday afternoon in front of a good 16,404 fans. Finally, the Raiders, 24-20 over the Sharks at GIO Stadium in Canberra in front of 14,134. Tish, some highlights, some lowlights for us. Uh, at the end of three rounds, we uh, our teams, the Eels and the Tigers, are the bottom two teams. Very, very disappointing, and it's going to be a long season for us if this keeps up, but... Uh, I'm hoping that we're going to turn it around, and uh, and you know at the, at the top of the table on the other side we're seeing the Broncos, Manly, and the Dolphins undefeated so far. I think that's it. They're the only undefeated teams, I believe. That's right. Um, look, Tish, what were your highlights for round three? Yeah, Doctor Ted. Look, even though the Tigers did lose, I actually thought that uh, back to Belmore for the Bulldogs. I think. Um, just, uh, you know, just having, I think they had like almost 17,000 fans there, uh, and, and it was a really good atmosphere to see suburban rugby league once again at Canterbury and look, the Tigers, they, they struggle for most of the game, but look, towards the end, it was a very exciting finish. Um, and it came down to, to, to a try. Um, so I think that was kind of a highlight just to see 
that and as you said like the the weather as well had a, had a big part in that whole game as well so that sort of made made it uh there i think also look uh Parramatta and and manly unfortunately uh, again going down um sort of you know narrowly uh Parramatta, but they sort of again a bit of a fight back and, and probably they didn't play their best footy as well uh and then of course anytime the roosters and the rabbitos are playing as well Look, I think the spectacle that was at Allianz Stadium, 36,000, that's a really good crowd for Friday night, a great atmosphere, big match atmosphere. And, uh, yeah, look, I think all of Sydney was sort of trying to figure out who was going to take this out. And, um, you know, the Roosters getting the win, um, which, uh, you know, sort of, which is good because, like, you know, just just that rivalry going. So, look, I think they're probably the highlights. And, look, I think, uh, you know, but, again, look, my Tigers losing the low lights now, like, you know, no wins yet. Parramatta, same sort of thing, no wins. Um, there are people, uh, you know, jumping off and on the bandwagon. Um, but, look, I still got to say it's very early in the season too. And, look, I suppose both our teams need to start winning now um, to have sort of chances to play finals at the end. So it is get coming down to it a little bit. But, you know, I also realise that if you actually win a couple of games, um you know, sort of. Well, if you win, if you win this weekend, for example, by by a bit of a margin, because the games have been so tight, um, you can actually jump a few places with other teams who have only won just a single game as well. And then, you know, just putting in two or three wins together, uh, you know, it's still tight tight enough this early on for even the bottom teams to have a bit of a run. Um, and uh, yeah, and and what's happening with Melbourne? You know, Melbourne sort of going down consecutively. Um, has this ever happened before? It seems like it hasn't, Dr. T. Not for a very long time, especially this early in the season and especially after we saw, um, well, I mean, look, let's not forget they won a golden point game against the Eels. Had it gone the other way, we would be talking about the Storm being 0-3, and which would have been probably the first time in their history, I would think. So... Look, um, yeah, unbelievable. Some really weird things happening. But, um, that, look, we seem to say that every year. There's always a shifting of the sands and, and all, uh, you know, the planets realigning, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, I, I get the feeling that, you know, about the time we get to state of origin time, uh, we will start to see the teams that are sort of gravitating towards the top and those that are going to be fighting for the bottom eight. Um, but, uh, you know, as we've seen in the last few years, there's uh, there's always some surprise packets, and um, and that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I think there's going to be some really interesting uh, things happening. But, look, in terms of if I cast my eye over the games, I think the Dolphins continue in their winning ways. Um, you know, they did defeat the Knights. It was a high-scoring game. Um, uh, the, to me, the, uh, one of the signs of, uh, of things to come potentially was, uh, the Manly and Parramatta, it was an entertaining game, 34 to 30. There were at least two or three occasions where I resigned myself to the Eels, uh, not winning that game, not coming, not coming back after they let the Manly sort of, uh, run away with it. And, and then somehow they found a way to sort of catch up or be within striking distance. And then Manly sort of, you know, they did something like they, they had an error or something and all of a sudden Manly are back in on it. So, look, I think what we saw was the effect of the heat <laughs> with high-scoring games. I think some lapses in concentration, some defensive 
lapses and and just people not caring too much. Uh, I think the heat is getting to some of the players. So I'm wondering whether the if there is, a, especially in in the Sydney region, if there is a change in the weather this weekend. I'm not sure what the uh, the bureau is saying, but if there is a cool change coming overall, I think that may affect the quality of the defence uh, of some of these teams. And we may see some closer games. We may see a little less uh, of these uh, high-scoring uh, zero defense type games. Um, starting to look like the NBA <laughs> a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we don't want that because the NBA is also not going very well in that respect. So, um, But, yeah, uh, Dolphins, Broncos, uh, I think, are the key stories at the moment. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, uh, well, we're going to talk about one of them very soon. But, yeah, uh, yeah definitely – Whatever Wayne Bennett is doing at the Broncos, uh, sorry, the, at the Dolphins, is uh, reminiscent, I think, of what he did at the Broncos. Uh, in in effect, he's actually kind of created this rivalry now. If the Dolphins, as a club, stick and don't go the way of uh, the Crushers, for instance, then uh, we will have a genuinely interesting Dolphins Broncos rivalry in the battle for Brisbane, and I think. It is one of the things that we need in the NRL to uh, make sure we expand and, and consolidate our, um, our our reach amongst, uh, um, you know, in, in the current generation, we, we want to continue to grow. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, some interesting things there as well with the Bulldogs and Tigers, as you said. Looking forward to seeing whether the Tigers can turn things around. I think that, to me, is, is the key story there. Um Last say uh, for you, Tish, before we move on to the next tackle. Well, look, I think the way the round has uh, – we're going to talk about this a bit later, but, look, Dolphins and Broncos, top of the table clash, two Queensland teams going at it this weekend in their very first game. It's going to be great. And I think uh, – but, yeah, let's hope uh, our two teams uh, have a bit of success this weekend. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to uh, tackle number two. So obviously, uh, we the, the rugby league world is in mourning uh, for the passing of John Sattler, rugby league great, South Sydney great, four-time premiership winning captain John Sattler has died at the age of eighty. Uh, very very sad. Uh, he was very well liked, regarded as one of the absolute greats of the game. Uh, obviously, one of the most famous. Um, uh, I guess claims to fame uh, for John Sadler was the Rabbitohs victory against Manly in 1970 in their grand final there where he uh, he had that broken jaw in the beginning of the game and uh, managed to play the rest of the game. And, uh, you know, the, the legend lives on uh, of that story. Very great story there. And uh, obviously uh, between... 67 and 71, 1967-1971, he captained the Rabbitohs to four premierships during that period. He also played four tests for Australia and represented both New South Wales and Queensland at the interstate level. That's obviously before State of Origin uh, came about. He was named as one of Australia's greatest 100 players in 
2008, the same year that he was inducted as a member of the NRL Hall of Fame. Um, and uh, obviously we know of his son, Scott Sattler, who uh, is also famous for uh, a, a grand final moment when he uh, performed that amazing tackle against uh, against the Penrith players, uh, Pen- Penrith winger in uh, the, uh, was it the 2003 grand I final, think, I believe? Yeah, 2003, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so um, Scott Sattler, uh, for those of you who remember, revealed in June 2021 that his father had been battling dementia since early 2020. So... Um, the statement that I've seen from uh, South Sydney Chair Nicholas Pappas says, uh, if anyone is to epitomise the true spirit of the South Sydney Rabbitohs, it is John Sattler. He bled red and green. He would do anything for his teammates. He never took a backward step. He always led from the front. Uh, he was loved by everyone connected with the Rabbitohs, whether it be one of his former teammates who he led to Premiership Glory or the man in the street who loved South Sydney just as much as he did. He was tough and brave, but fair, uncompromising on the field and empathetic off it, and he truly epitomised everything that we want the Rabbitohs to be. His favourite saying was, I play to win. Everyone knows that. There is nothing more South Sydney Rabbitohs than that. He always held the Rabbitohs dear to his heart, and everyone here at the Rabbitohs always held Sats dear to ours. Our deepest and most sincere condolences go out to his son Scott and the entire Sattler family, his former teammates and all of his friends that he has touched over the years. Rest in peace Sats. Um, and also our Prime Minister, Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, who is a lifelong Rabbitoh supporter, said that watching Sattler play was a privilege. He tweeted, John Sattler was a legendary player who was tough on the field but a true gentleman off it. And um, Oh, look, it goes on and on. There's so many quotes that I've, that I've found on in the media, um, you know, even from our current CEO uh, or our current ARL Commission Chair, Peter Volandis, said that Sattler would be remembered as one of the game's toughest players. And it goes on and on and on. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's really, I guess, one of the things that I've noticed in seeing some social media comments and uh, articles about John Sattler's life uh, and his uh, legacy in rugby league is is how much he was well liked off the field after he retired. How he was just uh, an incredible human and and just really took time to kind of uh, get to know people. Uh, there were there were so many stories of people saying, you know, I bumped into him at, at a function, and uh, you know, he made you feel like there was no one else in the room. He just was talking to you, and he was interested in your story or that kind of thing. So. Um, you know, lots of stories like that, and I'm sure there's there's at least someone out there listening to this uh, podcast who who's had a similar story. I have not met, uh, I did not meet John Sattler. Unfortunately, I don't have one of those stories. I don't know if you do, Tish, but we we definitely can. You know, the stories that I've, I've just sort of relayed resonate with us in terms of um, some of the really great players that we have met and bumped into over the years, and how they've just. You know, the key thing is when you see them, you're not really thinking about that legendary moment in that grand final when they were playing 20, 30 years ago. You're thinking about the fact that after all that they've gone through, all the toughness, all the difficulties, and, and in the case of Johnny Sattler, you know, dementia, which uh, which probably led to, uh, you know, his uh, his ultimate kind of uh, fate recently. You know, that, that kind of stuff doesn't really worry 
some of these blokes like they just get on with their life they're, they're happy to be invited to functions they're happy to meet fans you know this is to me that's what resonates with us this is why we we do this sort of podcast because we, we we're all about the regular person it's not about being um you know it, it's about the way that that the game and the players uh connect as a community and 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 that it connects with everyone not just with each other and it's not just the corporates or the sponsors it's about the regular person the regular player uh, the regular fan and um by all accounts john sattler was one of those people who you know uh really fostered good friendships with people and and like was universally liked as far as i could tell mm. um and and that's really amazing considering he was considered one of the toughest players you know of all time uh you know it, it's it's kind of interesting that even though he was tough and everything and and himself admitted that he was like a you know it's all about the winning kind of thing um off the field you know a gentleman and that's really just amazing you don't see that very often so uh yeah johnny Sattler, very sad day for rugby league that uh, he has passed away so we i think i think i speak on behalf of both of us tish when i say that we send our sincere condolences to the settler family and to all rugby league fans and, and rabbitos fans as well for uh the passing of of a legend uh a great player and a great gentleman tish uh do you have anything to add to that yeah, well, look, um, I, I did not uh, see John Sattler play. Um, he, you know, he played in the era before uh, my time. Um, uh, but I did see his son play, and I thought his son was always a fantastic player, and he did play for the Tigers as well. But I don't think he won a premiership with the Tigers, but, you know, he sort of um, was part of that success that Benji and Robbie and, uh, and the 2005 team had. Um, but, look, with John, you know, I kind of first remember him as being uh, I'd say the ultimate passionate fan standing up for South Sydney. Um, he was, you know, part of that group that was trying to keep South Sydney alive, even though were, when they were taken out of the competition, you know, he he was very, um, you know, he's very strong in his views of how the club should run too. And I think, um, and and I don't think anybody disliked him for it. In fact, like I think, I think he did oppose the Russell Crowe. Um, um, you know, uh, South Sydney sort of becoming, um, you know, privately owned. But even Russell Crowe t- tweeted, t- tweeted uh, you know, rest in peace uh, to, to John Sattler. So, look, even even people that he uh, sort of opposed with different views still respected him, and that's how much of a respect uh, people had in the game for, for John Sattler. And that legendary story where he broke his jaw, I mean, you hear that throughout rugby league all the time. And, um, you know, certainly with the footage you've seen and the way he's interacted with the public, you know, he is a legend of the game. I certainly think, um, you know, without even seeing him play, I think, uh, you know, just the way he gets talked about, I think he is definitely um, one of those players that, uh, you know, deservingly so in the top 100, um, as you said, a rugby league Hall of Famer. And uh, I think it's really sad uh, that, uh, you know, John Sattler has passed away. You know, it's a great voice from the era, uh, you know, past, to talk about the current game, I, you know, I remember different interviews that he had. He always sort of spoke well, and I think he was just real gentleman of rugby league. And um, you know, I think him and Bob McCarthy sort of go back a long way, right? They were kind of part of the same team. So um, yeah, it's sad when this uh, happens. When you know, when you know, great heroes of the game have gone. But um, look, I think um, 
you know, uh, you know, John Sattler, he's South Sydney through and through, isn't he? So, um, you know, I say, you know, uh, you know, I suppose congratulations on a great life, you know, and, um, you know, let's, um, you know, us, uh, you know, deeper sympathies go out to, to, uh, the Sattler family and, um, yeah, I mean, what more can you say about a legend, right, Dr. T? I think he'll always live on in rugby league. That's all right. Yeah, and as long as there are stories and, and uh, uh, footage and, and the stories will keep getting perpetuated and, and told, uh, I think it's one of those those moments in history, especially the broken jaw moment that um, that really kind of resonates and, and sort of typifies everything about him and his character. And I think that's, that's what this is all about and, and, um, and yeah, it's a very sad, uh, sad day for rugby league um, when uh, when someone. And I think the, it's not just the the story. I think the fact that he's uh, he's kind of suffered from dementia recently. There's it's it's coming at a time where we've we've had uh, the debate about the effects of concussion on and the and the, the high impact kind of um, uh, nature of the game on the brains of players and what that means. And so that's. No doubt, this uh, John Sattler's death will also spark some debate at some point about uh, concussions and dementia and the link between them and all that sort of stuff. So we're not going to get into that today, but I think the, today the focus is on uh, just remembering the life of Johnny Sattler and uh, and and what he meant to to rugby league and what he meant to the Rabbitohs in particular, and as a way of defining that club and and its uh, its mental fortitude and and mentality overall so look with that being said let's uh let's say uh rest in peace johnny sattler and uh we'll go to tackle number three I thought we'd do a bit of a coach watch uh, uh, session where we just check in on what's been happening. I know it's only been three rounds, but um, there's already been discussion about some pressure on certain coaches. <laughs> um, I thought I'd raise some of them uh, and see what we think. Uh, is it too early to call? Is it, uh, you know, are any of them being put on notice? Uh, are some of them being harshly treated? That kind of thing. Let's start with the obvious one. I think Newcastle is struggling majorly at the moment. And I think Adam O'Brien there is uh, probably, uh, you know, going to be one of the those uh, coaches that is going to be questioned very, very soon if their fortunes don't turn. It also comes off the back of, you know, the unfortunate situation with Kalen Ponga, again, concussed. You know, what does that mean for him? What does his future mean? Uh, the rest of the team isn't going so well either. Um, but, yeah... So Adam O'Brien, what do you reckon, Tish? Are we are we keeping a close eye on him? Uh, is it too early to call? Look, I think Adam O'Brien. It is a bit too early to call for him, uh, but I don't like his chances. Um, considering, look, his star player is out for a little bit, um, you know, and then so I don't know. It sort of slows down the combination he has with his new halfback, um, who's also sort of had. Uh, you know, he said, uh, I'd say he's played well, Jackson Hastings, but he's he's come under a little bit of pressure as well, right? So I think that's the whole issue with Adam O'Brien. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's, he's not out of the woods yet. 
uh, so to speak. So, so um, yeah. But uh, look, I, I don't think I think he is. I'd give him. I think he's going to last the season, <laughs> right? Oh, really? I okay. Think, right. I don't. Think, I don't think he's going to bow out till uh, you know till 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 much later um, in. Uh, yeah, because I think even. I mean, where they're sitting? Are they still? Are they in the, even in the top eight at the moment? They're uh, where are they? They are fourteenth uh, with one win. Okay, so um, so so that's uh, I suppose that's uh, that's bad, uh, but I suppose they're doing better than um, well, they're doing better than our teams, right? So, so well, so. if we look at the bookies sports bet, they are at the same odds as the Tigers, hundred and one dollars. Okay. To win, okay. to win the premiership, whereas Parramatta, who are also on zero, are on thirty-one dollars, and the Cowboys, who are just above them, are on seventeen dollars. So Cowboys are better favoured with the bookies and the Eels, and yet both of those teams and your team are under the Knights so far this season. So look, mm. I don't know what that means, uh, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look very good. Um, look, the other the other kind of coach I was I'm going to put out there is Adam Griffin, Anthony uh, Griffin, Anthony. Sorry, what did I say? Anthony Griffin from St George Illawarra. You know, now they're doing a bit better. They're coming ninth. Mm. Um, they, however, that is uh, one win, one loss, and one bye. So okay, let's uh, let's not get too. And they're they're at eighty one dollars uh, to win the premiership. So they're not. The the bookies are not considering them uh, very, you know, very uh, very a premiership threat. No, yeah. they're not. Even though they're sitting ninth, but it yep. is too early. So obviously, uh, you know, okay. And uh, yep. All right. So look, we're recording this on the twenty first of March, twenty twenty three. I say this. I say this because uh, there has been some breaking news about Anthony Griffin. <laughs> And he's oh. coaching Kenya at the Dragons. Are you ready for this, Dr. T? What happened? What did I miss? Okay. It, in the last sacked? two hours, uh, the Dragons have put him on notice saying that they are interviewing for coaches for 2024. And Anthony Griffin, if he wants to continue as coach next year, has to reapply for his job. Wow. So, so he's he's like, so so this season they're not making any changes. So he's going to survive this season, but he wants to stay on as coach next season. He has to reapply, uh, even though he's contracted for next season. Okay, so technically, has he been sacked? I suppose he has been sacked for next year. Well, uh, the fact that he has to reapply. We, yeah, but when we say like sacked, we generally mean out the door now, pack your bags. Uh, mm. Not not like we'll give you until the end of the year, <laughs> regardless of what your yep. outcomes are, regardless of your of your. You know the results. You you've got until next year, but then you're not guaranteed the next year. That to me is not really being. It, it kind of is, but it's also like, nah, we're not going to renew. You. Like you're still not. You know, we're going to cut short your contract, but you're not completely mm-hmm. sacked as of now. So I think that is. I mean, if I'm honest, that is kind of terrible management from the St. George Illawarra part. I think yeah. that's kind of you have to make a decision and a call. If you don't want him there. Get rid of him. Just sack him, and get someone new. Mick Potter <laughs> might be looking for. You know, he did pretty well last year with uh, with the Bulldogs, uh, an unfancy team, and he managed to turn their results around almost immediately. 
You know, yeah. Mick Potter would do pretty good at his uh, his old club, the Dragons. Who knows? Mm. Well, look, um, so other applicants. So they've already started taking other applicants, uh, which I believe is Dean Young, uh, Jason Riles, and uh, and Ben Hornby. Uh, and I believe Ben Hornby is actually part of Anthony Griffin's staff, right? So um, so I don't know what okay. will happen. Like, you know, they're, they're training out there one day and then Ben Hornby's like, Hey, uh, listen, uh, listen, Anthony. I've got to uh, just got to jet out for my interview at head office or something. I've got to take a quick phone call. I'll be in the toilet. See you in ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works, right? So, so yeah, but yeah, you, you brought up a good like Mick Potter. Look, um, look, Mick Potter did well last year. It would just be, I don't know, maybe just for my own amusement. This is, you know, this is probably not the best to play with people's lives, but it would be great if, say, Anthony Griffin, you know, he's just like, you know what, if you guys don't, uh, you know, you know, I'm just going to quit for the rest of the season if you guys aren't going to renew me. So they bring in Mick Potter to be a caretaker coach again, and he could be like the caretaker coach forever, you know what I mean? Like the uh, the guy that always is the caretaker, right? Because uh, he did a great job last year, and you kind of think what's – What's going on with him, you know, like, you know, but um, I don't think he's going to come back to the Tigers, put it that way. So, um, <laughs> no, probably yeah, not. but, but look, yeah, I mean, you brought up a good point. Um, I immediately fought Shane Flanagan, um, but he's got a stigma to him, doesn't he? Which, which doesn't seem to go away because like um, his name sort of gets bandied about here or there, but nobody ever takes his seriously, which is kind of a shame because he's got like one of the best winning records ever. He led the Sharks to a victory, and and yeah, it's it's a bit sad that that a player like uh, that a coach like Shane Flanning wouldn't do it. Um, now, I also got to say with Anthony Griffin, I think he's obviously the way they're managing it is is horrible. I think, but I think also I believe he's actually been a bit of a success. I mean, he's he's had two seasons with them. Last year, um, they won four more games than the year before, uh, and then the year before that, when he took over. They won seven games in 2020 and they won eight games in 2020. So, so he did improve the team consistently and, like, they should be on track for the premiership. And um, as you yeah, said... In 2070. It's, yeah, yeah. So it's a slow build. You know, it's a slow yeah, build. Yeah, yeah, it's a slow one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, th- these are the only two seasons in his whole coaching career where they haven't played finals, like any team he's coached. So he's got a he's got an unbelievable record as well. It's just, um, yeah, I think... I think the thing is the the Dragons have had some player, you know, we don't really talk about it on the show, but they've had some really off-the-field issues over the last few years uh, before he came to the club. And I think, I don't know how much the coach can be involved in those type of situations, but I certainly think the way the club, the players, and, you know, I think the the setup of the of the, of the actual club is what needs to be looked at if they're going to improve and, and just like the tigers right no matter what coach what plays you sign unless the you know the club runs in an efficient way um you know you're probably not going to start seeing the results that that they want so yeah but anthony griffin like you know i suppose he'll survive for the rest of the season as it looks like now <laughs> but uh but he's kind of uh yeah maybe looking for a new role next year all right, and look, I'm going to throw out there, you know, maybe Brad Arthur is probably a bit too early, but what about the Tigers? I mean, mm. are you seeing any uh, any chance that anything will happen? I mean, they did have that long-term view of, uh, you know, is it 
Shane's Tim Shane's is officially the coach with uh, with Benji and Robbie as the assistants, and next year Robbie, sorry, um, Benji will take over as yeah. head coach. I believe that's the long term kind of plan. So does that mean then it gives the Tigers a bit of an out this year, where they they think well, you know, it's almost like guaranteeing that Benji will be there at the start of next year because he's he's not really, you know, in charge at the moment. Um, however, is the experiment working with Timmy Sheens? Maybe maybe they just need to cut cut that and uh, let Benji have a go now. What do you think? Um, yeah, look, I think uh, it's not working at the moment at the Tigers, right? Um, whatever they're doing. I mean, look, um, mm. maybe it's because it takes time, right? Um, if you look at the way they play, I don't know uh, if, if you've seen much of their games, right? So there is a statistic. I think they've, uh, I think they, th- they threw something like uh, 80 more passes than any, any other team this year, right? So mm. they are trying to play that very expansive footy, but um, like the passes are not going straight. They're going behind players. They're going, you know, below their heads, above their head. Well, oh, sorry, above their heads, below their feet, bouncing left, right, and center. Some are forward, some are back. Nobody's running onto it. Um, you know, players are making a break and there's no other players there. And then, um, and that's been their focus, has been their attack. Meanwhile, it looks like they haven't really uh, trained their defense either. Um, they probably have, I mean, I haven't actually looked at the statistics, but they're probably they're one of the worst teams for the against, right? So their against is at uh, 62, actually not as bad as the Eels. Oh, that's been interesting. Okay. All right. Yeah. So 62 points scored against. It's, that's still up there with one of the worst, right? Uh, mm. And their attack is only at 44, right, which is, uh, yeah, which is probably the worst. So the thing that they've been working on, all of last, uh, all of the uh, off season is not working. Um, so yeah, so I think there is a bit of a, a change. Now it could just be that look, they're they're trying to uh, reinvent rugby league, and it takes time to build a revolution. So um, yep. maybe that's what it is. Like, yeah. But I don't know. Uh, at the moment, I feel like we're a long way away from winning a game. Uh, so yeah, so I think it's not working there. Um, I think you brought up Brad Arthur. Look, I think you got to give Arthur a chance, right? Like I, I, I was being a bit facetious. I think we talked mm. about Brad Arthur last week. You know, he's he's been extended. He's not going to get sacked. Um, but yeah, I think I think those that are performing not so well this year, as we mentioned, Adam, Anthony, and Timmy Sheens. <laughs> you know, what are we going to do about them? I don't know. But it seems that the, the bookies are also not favouring those three teams. So I reckon over the course of the year, those three teams will kind of head down, unless there's a change. I mean, you never know. I think the Tigers showed some good uh, comeback there against the Bulldogs. It's a good sign, and I think they've got to take those signs and and work on those uh, men- that mentality, uh, and mm. they definitely definitely need to shift the mentality. I think uh, there's been, from the Tiger side, there's been lots of excuses and not enough soul-searching and, uh, you know, getting it done kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's that. But, um, look, let's keep a watchful eye on this situation. Um, I wonder, you know, I wonder if Anthony Griffin is, has let uh, – rocketed to the top of our um, first coach to be sacked list because, uh, you know, when the board – I mean, what's what's worse than the board supporting you and then the day later you get sacked? <laughs> it's when they actually say you got the job for the whole year and then we'll look for 
other replacements for you. I think that's almost worse because that's kind of like saying, you know, that's it, you're here, I finished the job. And then I don't know, like that can be even more demotivating for, for the entire yeah. squad. So I don't know what's going wrong there, but yeah, it doesn't seem like they're managing it very well. But look, uh, from a team, from teams that are not managing things well to a team that is doing quite well this year, the Dolphins, we're going to talk about uh, Dolphins and NRL expansion in tackle number four. All right, so we did talk about the Dolphins and how well they're doing and the Wayne Bennett magic to create a, uh, a new kind of Brisbane uh, derby there uh, is, is a really good kind of blueprint for what, what you can do when you've got the community behind you. You've got a, a well-established brand in the Redcliffe Dolphins. You've got uh, the master coach of Wayne Bennett. You've got you know, all sorts of corporate support in one of the biggest cities of rugby league cities in the world, Brisbane. Um, all the signs were there. The recipe was all good. And, uh, you know, it's their immediate success. Um, you know, even look, even whatever happens for the rest of the season, there's no denying that they've hit the ground running. And, uh, you know, despite the fact they've already encountered, I think, a, a a bit of a setback there with Felici Cafusi getting a four-match ban for, uh, uh, was it a dangerous tackle or whatever it was? Look, it's at the end of the day, the Dolphins are, yeah, they're winning at the moment and, and they're, they've, they're showing a lot of promise and you can't kind of fault them for that. But, but I guess what I wanted to talk about was some of those elements in that recipe that I'm saying is a, is a recipe for their success is uh, it started to spark some suggestions in the media uh, and in social media that, you know, with the Dolphins being successful, why don't we look at where the next step is for NRL expansion? So I thought I'd raise that with you. Tish, I know we talk about this once in a while. Um, and there's four, to me, there's four kind of main candidates that we need to consider. Uh, the first one, and I thought we maybe we'll go through these ones, see what you think, and then if there's any other ones that um, that you think are a genuine chance, uh, let's talk about it. But to me, the number one has to be Perth uh, or West Coast Pirates or whatever they call them, Perth Reds. Uh, is it a potential uh, uh, Western Bears? Western Bears, that's an idea. Perth Bears, that's an idea. That's an absolute good idea, um, which means that they would have to move away from their central coast, you know, first option. <laughs> um, and and so, yeah, I guess that's the thing. Perth, what do you think uh, does, you know, would it, would there be a rivalry created? Would there, you know, what what can we do to kind of, tick off some of the boxes that the Dolphins seem to be ticking at the moment uh, in terms of Perth. What do you reckon? Yeah, look, I think Perth sounds like a great team. But, look, you uh, look if you talk about the recipe that's made, per, uh, you know, the Dolphins, you talk about 75 years of history. So I suppose you get that with the North Sydney Bears history, um, you know, which would be what 80-odd uh, years before they were, uh, you know, kicked to the curve by uh, Super League and, uh, and Ken Arthurson. 
Should I say that? Or yeah, anyway. No, we're, we're manly, <laughs> manly, manly, manly. But, but, but manly, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so so look, let's uh, yeah, so let's uh, yeah, so, so so they get that. Um, but look, I suppose they don't have that local support or that junior system, which the Dolphins have, right? Because obviously Queensland is rugby league mad, right? So, um, so so I think. They're not going to have the same sort of immediate effect that the Dolphins would have, I would say. That would need – I think if you're going to announce a team to play in Perth, you probably need uh, maybe like three or four years. Um, like it needs to be announced three or four years before you actually do it so that it gives time to build the anticipation, to build the brand, to build uh, rugby league into the area so that when it does happen – and you need to take State of Origin there for like three or four years as well, right? Um you know, if you look at the 90s, I think they had like you know, a 94, 95 and maybe a couple of other state of origins in Melbourne before they uh, launched the Storm, right? Um, and then the Storm did have immediate success without that junior or hist- historical setup. So, yeah, so I think you just got to try and build uh, a following in Perth. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so what were your some other suggestions there that you had, Dr. T? Yeah, look, I that's an interesting point you make about, you know, they don't have a ready-made fan base and it is a true kind of expansion in terms of its new territory as opposed to Dolphins, which is consolidation and mm. representation of existing, uh, of an existing kind of, um, you know, popular uh, area. Um, and so along that line, then uh, maybe this is not so much expansion, but to some extent, consolidation of what's happening in New Zealand, the idea of a team like Wellington, where you could actually have a manufactured rivalry with uh, an Auckland-based Warriors. Um, you know, the difference with the Wellington, I think, uh, I think the Warriors, uh, so they're called New Zealand Warriors because they represent all of New Zealand. But once we have another team, I think they're going to have to shift to to change their title to what they used to be, which was Auckland Warriors. And I think that's one of the issues that I have with the Warriors. And, uh, you know, certainly one of the issues I have with the Dolphins, representing the town of the, uh, is that they have <laughs> removed Redcliffe from, uh, from that equation. And I think we talked about this before, that, you know, the idea of, of the Dolphins being coloured red to represent the Redcliffe, uh, you know, that there's a history there and whatever. That's great, but they they obviously didn't think enough of it to actually put it in the name. So that's a problem. So whatever happens, the name has to mean something. So I'm thinking Wellington is the next kind of best option because of that creation of a New Zealand rivalry. It establishes, you know, a regular rugby league presence in New Zealand, not suggesting we're going to overtake rugby union in a hurry, but if you if we want to expand into an area that understands rugby, you know, our cousin rugby union as a game, um, you know, who, if you're a marketing person, who would be the most likely uh, target if you want to build an immediate kind of presence or even if you want to have a long-term you know, shifting of the customer base to your product. Um, you obviously go for those who already have a similar product. So in, in the case of New Zealand, the, the strategy needs to be, I think, let's target a development of a new rivalry, Wellington v Auckland, and a, a rivalry that uh, will drum up enough interest that will hopefully 
convert some of the rugby union fans or and the younger generation who who are going to look at rugby league as a viable option if they want to go into that as a sport either to support or to uh to play for um so yeah wellington what do you think look i think wellington uh is a good option um and but but i do say it a bit like perth as well a little bit well, I mean, the problem that I have is that the Warriors are not that successful right, right at the moment, right? And I think they're still rebuilding. And I just wonder if you're sort of uh, putting another team in New Zealand, all of a sudden, you know, the other team has to build a fan base. The Warriors are still struggling to build their fan base a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, and and when are we going to see uh, a competitive New Zealand team again in the NRL playing finals footy? Right. Well, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, what 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 about this scenario? So, yeah, that's the kind of um, the dilution sort of discussion or argument that you know you're going to dilute the fan base there because it's not really that big anyway. And that, there's an argument to be made for yeah. that. But I think I think once you know what we saw from World Cup and Test matches, and there is a huge fan base in in New Zealand in general that needs to be tapped into. And I think. That to me is uh, is is the next kind of frontier in a way. Uh, that yes, yeah. they haven't had a win yet with Auckland Warriors or the Warriors now. Um, but what would happen theoretically or hypothetically? Sorry, if if uh, we bring in Wellington, uh, a rivalry commences. Uh, you get some good games out of it and and some drumming up some interest. Five years down the track, Wellington competes and. Uh, after entering the competition and um, makes a grand final or, or wins the premiership in, <laughs> within 10 years, then what does that do for the other team? You it know, does. Yeah. It do, does, it, does it kind of inspire them to, you know, it, it, that this is the point of rivalry and competition. This yeah, is exactly. why This yeah. is why the, the game itself is a competition. And uh, so I guess that's the question. Well, well how would you feel yeah. if the Titans uh, didn't play finals this year and the, the Dolphins did and went on to play a grand final, right, which the Titans still haven't? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so a similar sort of thing, right? So Yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, look, it's – yeah, it's – I don't know. We've seen this happen in other sort of – yeah parts as well where well not really i mean like you know you look at like say Parramatta and then the expansion towards penrith you know there's this whole thing now about oh you know the little the little brother is now usurping the bigger brother that kind of thing there will be a bit of that you know that those whether we like it or not those kinds of rivalries that kind of narrative does actually sell bums on seats um and it, it and it does convert a new generation and it actually you know, that's one of the things we love about the game, isn't it? It's the, the tribalism, uh, like you know. That's right, the tribalism. That's exactly mm. right. So, yeah, well, yeah. that's a good point. And I, and I just thought about this, like, uh, you know, the, the probably the greatest grand final that I I might see in my lifetime is the where I saw live was a 2016 grand final, um, and sort of being part of the the Sharks winning, right? Because if you think about the Sharks, right, they've had, um, you know, they what came into the competition at the same time as Manly, I think it was, in the 70s, right? And, um, you know, uh, you know, Manly came in and sort of won uh, fairly quickly. Uh, and then you've had, like, you know, teams like, um, you know, the Raiders coming in and win, the Broncos coming in and win, um, you know, the Cowboys coming in and win, the West Tigers sort of amalgamating winning. So George Illawarra merging and then winning. And then finally you get that chance, right? And then I was meeting people um, 
you know, at the grand final who flew in from all parts of the world to watch, you know, their team that they watched when they grew up win. And I think there was a real sense of pride, right? And I really think that, uh, you know, you go to a, a like Shark Park, I know they're doing well at the moment, but they're one of the most parochial uh, fan bases out there. And maybe, you know, the uh, you know the bonds of uh, rivalry are forged in the years of defeat. I don't know. Uh, oh, in that um, case, in that case, Parramatta Eels is one of the strongest <laughs> bonded <Yeah. laughs> teams yeah. out there. Yeah. yeah maybe. No, maybe no, there is. Look, I agree. I'm being facetious. There, there is a little bit of that. Absolutely. Yes. There's some truth in that. Um, but yeah, look. Well, uh, let look, me throw one in there. Let me throw one in there, right? Please. Uh, yep. Because. You know, PVL, he's a problem solver, right? Yes. And he's not just a problem solver for rugby league or for or for racing New South Wales. He's a problem so- solver for, for the world, okay? And right now, you know, the Western powers, we are fearful of, you know, Chinese interest in the Pacific, right? It's a big talking point. You've seen Penny Wong, the Wongster, uh, Wonka Mania going wild uh, in the Pacific, right, going to every nation out there um, and throwing money left, right and centre with her, with her diplomacy. Some people are critical of it, even though they did the same thing when they were foreign minister or whatever. But she's doing it and she's doing a great job, right, but she needs a bit of help. And I think the NRL can help, right? Why don't we have the Adams team as Team Pacifica, right? Uh, straight mm. away, you get to invest into the South Pacific, you're creating pathways, um, you know, into into that. So I think it helps from a national point of view. I think it's something that the UN will get behind um, because of, of this strategic move, right? You know, we need we uh, need UN support. Yeah, we need UN support. Uh, you know, you know, I could see uh, big backings from the US as well. Like, you know, this is a this is a, a strategic global move uh, that we can make by by getting a rugby league team into Pacifica. And then sort of playing a few games in Tonga, a few games in Fiji, a few games in Samoa, and then a couple of games in New Zealand. They will de facto become the New Zealand Warriors rivalry because of the strong, um, you know, diaspora of, of Pacific Island uh, Islanders that live in, in New Zealand. Uh, in fact, born in New Zealand, right? So, so that is going to be strong. They're going to be huge over Western Sydney. It's almost like bringing in another Western Sydney team, right? It's also like bringing in another team from Manly, right? So so it, it, it is it is going to – I think they're going to have, like, some built-in support just because of what they represent. Um, I know that I've been to sort of the Pacific Nations test matches and there seems to be an appetite uh, of what if we could have uh, a team of our own um, that represents sort of our people type thing. Um, and I think it won't take that much to get it off the ground and to get it successful. Uh, I really don't, you know, and um, we've got so much talent that's coming in from the islands as well, right? Um, mm. And But with limited pathways, uh, you know, you know, uh, I know that there's a, uh, uh, you know, below the New South Wales Cup, there is um, a Fijian team there. There's also the PNG Hunters out there. But these, you know, that could become the feeder system for allowing these countries, uh, or, you know, for... Um, the Pacific to sort of rise up in rugby league. Um, so, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, a Pacifica team uh, in the NRL? I love it. I love it. I think it's a. I, I did have the question. I was going to say, what happens with uh, you know the the alternate option, which is 
let uh, teams from those countries uh, be brought in. You know, you got the PNG and the Fiji. Uh, what are they? What are we? What are they called? The Silk Tails. Mm. Um, you know that that kind of thing. What does that mean in terms of um, you know an NRL club? But but you're right. I think maybe the best option would be to use those teams. They could still represent the the second level, the second grade. And uh, and that can be the pathway to a united Pacifica team. My only question would be, how in in a in an area in a region that is so parochial to their own tribe and to their own country, etc., how dangerous is it to? Uh, how, no, not how dangerous. How how likely will it be successful to unite those under the one banner? I mean, it's not like. If you compare it to say the West Indies in cricket, you know it's a it's an area that's broad. It covers lots of countries and and that kind of thing. But it's not like those countries have a very strong rivalry as it is. Um, so this will be bringing together several of those Pacific Island nations. Uh, that to me is the only uh, you know question mark. I mean they could they can make it work financially. They could make it work. Um, you know, you've got Fiji is quite well developed and mm. has a 20,000 seat stadium uh, that that in Suva that could be used as as the home base, for instance. So you could have a home base in one of the countries and that could kind of, uh, you know, again, it could inspire uh, competition amongst the other countries to say, you know, well, if if uh, if Samoa wants uh, wants to have regular, games there then then you know build a build a stadium that's going to be sufficient and and get the crowds in and that kind of thing um yeah so i guess the question is what would uh you know what would that look like and is it possible that that's gonna uh be a difficult sell to bring it all together i do agree with you though that it's a ready-made kind of you know as soon as they come to western sydney i mean geez i <laughs> i reckon you get packed houses in every single game against a Pacifica team, uh, against every almost every single uh, Sydney team that plays against them uh, here in Sydney, so I think I think you're right. I'm tapping into the 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 migrant population here of the various South Pacific uh, cultures here would be amazing. But yeah, what do you think, Tish? Do you think that uh, am I am I over complicating things or over worried about you know how likely are we to get a united team that uh, that everyone's uh, proud to? You know, if you're a Fijian, would you be proud to support Pacifica when you know that there's a bunch of other? Uh, you know, I guess it's not a national. It's not a national team, is it? It's just a club. So I guess I guess there's no reason for you know. Look now, there's there's plenty of uh, different cultures within within any team really nowadays so maybe yeah. that's uh, that's gonna well maybe i've just talked myself out of it that's for it, they, <laughs> there should be no problem at all there tish i think it's a great idea i've got yeah. no problem well, well look i think i think the i think there will still be a healthy rivalry when in the in the international scene when these teams sort of um play against each other right but you're gonna remember you're gonna have players that will play state of origin and represent australia who are not Pacific Islander play for Pacifica because it is just a club, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But but look, uh, and and that's going to be exciting. But look, uh, I've I've been to some events out there that have been uh, 
you know, I think they're called the like the South Pacific Club or they've called they're, they're called different social clubs. And what I notice is that they try to embrace like they'll have the flags of all their nations there. Like, you know, they'll have um, you know, uh the Tongan flag, the Fijian flag, the Samoan flag, Cook Islander. So, you know, Papua New Guinea, they'll have them all there and then they'll sort of um they'll sort of try to celebrate all cultures there in those nights. So I think there is already within within sort of Sydney, um, you know, uh, I think there is a, already a camaraderie there. I think you'll find the same thing overseas in New Zealand. Um, I know, look, uh, these, like, you know, I, I uh, like, I know in Western Sydney sometimes there's also, you know, people talk about, well, maybe, you know, the the different where people come from sort of affects the way, uh, you know, young, you know, you know, youth crime and things like that. I don't think it's done on nationalistic lines. I think it's more done on when you, where you've grown up, sort of thing. Um, so, look, I'm not an expert in that area at all. But, I, but I just think that um, I just think that this is kind of it's probably something that's quite needed. Uh, to be fair, if you've got one banner that they're all coming under, um, because they don't see the differences anymore. And um, you know, I suppose uh, you know, I know you know Polynesia, Micronesia, and Melanesia, right? Are the are the three sort of um, big sort of island groups in the Pacific. Um, you know, I think they've, I, I think they'd be much, there just seems to be a, a sense of let's be together. Like, you know, we're, we, we're very, you know, we are the, the one people spread across many islands. Let's try and be uh, like a bit more inclusive of each other. And I think, this club can sort of represent that, right? Um, without being a national team, without being, I think if, if I think if we have this idea at an international rugby league level, yeah. I, I see a bit of a problem with that because I think yeah, the clubs yeah. need, I think the nations need to be represented by themselves. But I think if you see this as a combined nation within the NRL, um, not a combined nation, a, a club, um, a club that represents yeah. a region that crosses national boundaries. I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. And then, um, look, uh, it gives them plenty of jersey options too, right? So, um, you know, that's also uh, quite a good thing. So, look, um, look, that that that's probably where I would say that you know I'd say that. I mean, I'm also a fan of potentially a, a PNG team. Uh, you know, um, so I think I think all the options are good. You know, somebody even threw out there, well, if if can, if Brisbane's got two teams, can they handle a third team, uh, a Western Brisbane team or a Western Queensland team? I'm not too sure about that one, but uh, but it's certainly uh, – I think the Dolphins have showed that, look, expansion, it can happen and it doesn't have to – well, let, let's see how we go at the end of the season because if they if they sort of yeah. lose every game from this round out, maybe, maybe we're talking <laughs> to you as well, we'll right? We'll, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. look, before, before we go on, uh, very quickly, less than five seconds – it, you got a Pacifica team. You're the king for the day. What is the mascot? What's the name of this team? Go. Mm. Cyclone Pacifica. Wow. <laughs> so not even the Pacifica Cyclones. It's Cyclone Pacifica. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> wow. So you, you you're, like you're gonna you're gonna I like it, but you're gonna confuse a bit of the Bureau of Meteorology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. because what if they, what if there is a cyclone that uh, once they go through the naming list, it's Cyclone Pacifica, and it's like, well, that's a rugby league team. You can't call it that. <laughs> you call it something else. Cyclone Percy. Okay, go. Um, all right. Well, Pacifica or Cyclone Pacifica. We're, we'll wait and see. We'll send an email to PVL and see what he can do. But Tish, thanks for that. Uh, our fifth tackle is coming right up with Chad GPT. Here we go. 
All right. So this week in the media, we've seen uh, Phil Gould talk about the one, the only Peter Sterling from the Parramatta Eels uh, as one of the candidates for being the next NRL immortal, uh, along with Ron Coote. And we thought we'd talk to Chad GPT about that. What is he? What are his views on who should be the next NRL immortal? Hello, DRT and Tish. The NRL Immortals are a prestigious group of rugby league players who have made an outstanding contribution to the game. To be considered for the title of NRL Immortal, a player must have retired from the game for at least five years, have played at the highest level for a significant amount of time, and have made a lasting impact on the sport. Mm -hmm. There are many great players who could be considered for the title of NRL Immortal, including Darren Lockyer, Cameron Smith, Jonathan Thurston, and Andrew Johns. Ultimately, the decision of who should be the next NRL immortal is up to the NRL and the selection committee. It will be interesting to see who they choose to honor with this prestigious title in the future. All right. Thanks, Chad. Look, Tish, he, uh, he's in a time warp, our, our mate Chad. Oh, yeah. But I, I have to forgive him because he's American after all. But look, He's mentioned Andrew John. Someone needs to tell Chad. He already is an NRL immortal. <laughs> but the other names that he mentioned, Darren Lockyer, Cameron Smith, and Jonathan Thurston, I think it would be fair to say that the, those are names that keep coming up in these conversations. Um, but I think I think this goes back to, you know, uh, well, his understanding, I think, of NRL era. In, I think he's talking about just the NRL players. So I think... Sounds like he's never going to talk about anyone before 1998. Um, but look, Lockyer, Smith, Thurston, uh, if I was to look at those three, I would say I would say Lockyer actually slightly ahead of Smith in the running and slightly ahead of Thurston. Um, but I think none of those three should be considered in our immortals just yet because I think an immortal has to be someone who was like really head and shoulders above their generation and for a consistently long period of time, you know, there's hall of fame for regular hall of fame. And then there's like immortals are like, these are guys that really transcend, um, you know, and I think the look out of the ones that were mentioned, I know people are going to keep talking about Cam Smith. I don't think, I think a lot of that is just hype that will die down over time. Once we look back at, uh, at, at achievements and what what he really contributed to the game. Lockyer, I think, um, you know, for me, Lockyer is above Smith for one main reason, which is he dominated into really difficult positions to dominate in. Um, he made a change midway through his career or late in his career, and he dominated that position as well and ended up being a crucial uh, kind of element of the Queensland and Australian squads in both of those positions. So I think Lockyer, and and also he's he's also got those achievements, the captaincy achievements and and all that sort of stuff, um, was a great all-round player. But, yeah, uh, Chad, I have to disagree with you, mate. Uh, I don't like your your suggestions that much. I think over and above the players that he mentioned, I would have to go with Phil Gould on this. I think Ron Coote from from years gone by. So Travis, he hasn't already been named an immortal. And Peter Sterling, I think if you're talking about someone from uh, who was Wally Lewis's contemporary, um, I think I think that makes sense to kind of uh, 
you know, include someone like Peter Sterling. He's one of the few players that, you know, you saw the, the minute he retired uh, or the minute he kind of his career was on the wane, I think Parramatta has been a shell of its former self. And, and one wonders if the main reason for their success in the 80s was actually Peter Sterling as opposed to uh, some of the other kind of greats around him. So, Tish, what do you think about what Chad said and what I just said about Peter Sterling? Yeah, look, I, I tend to agree with you when when it comes to, uh, yeah, I, I don't agree with Chad. I think I think Chad, yeah, as, as an American trying to understand it, um, you know, probably probably didn't hit it. Um, the way I look at it, and and it's not the way that probably the selectors look at it, but I look, there's 13 immortals at the moment, right? Uh, which one of these players would you replace with one of the 13 that are already there, right? Because if you can't, like, if you, like, say, for example, you take Wally Lewis out and you try to put these three players in, well, I don't think you can because I think Wally Lewis stands out between these three, right? Um, And they all have similar accolades with, you know, Queensland dominance, for example. So I kind of feel like if you, like, like, uh, it's almost like let's keep the 13 until somebody that comes along just, decides to belong in there and then you sort of add them to the list and then you do that by sort of, you know, thinking in your head, well, who can I remove to add this player? And if you can't remove anybody, then I don't think then this player can work, right? So then, yeah, so then, because, yeah, look, because what I believe is, I think it goes more beyond just your actual uh, experience, like your actual, like, victories, I think it's the type of victories that you have. Um, the ground, like I think you have to do something that's a bit groundbreaking, um, something that sort of hasn't, you know, you've done something that sort of um, is a bit hard for your, even your greatest Hall of Famers to even emulate, right? Um, so we think about it now, like Peter Sterling, you know, he played for the last club that was able to win three in a row and I think four grand finals in five years, some sort of statistic like that, which hasn't been replicated. Um, and he was the chief architect in that. He had a lot of great players around him, but, um, you know, he was sort of doing that. And I think all the modern halfbacks, uh, including Andrew Johns, who's already there, um, get uh, uh, sort of compared to how Peter Sterling used to play, right? So I think he kind of fits that bill. Um, and I think the other player that goes in there, uh, for me, and I know I'm a bit biased, is Benji Marshall, right? Um, although he only won one premiership and he only played in two grand finals, he did win a World Cup for New Zealand. Uh, groundbreaking, uh, their first ever uh, World Cup. And um, not only that, they actually dominated International Rugby League when he was uh, sort of running the team uh, as, as the chief playmaker. And on top of that, all the players at the moment, like I think they did a bit of a survey around this and out of all the current NRL players, um, you know, they asked who who did you idolise and who do you try to be when you're out there? And I think 70% said Benji Marshall, right? Over Jonathan Thurston, Cameron Smith, Darren Lockyer. Like no disrespect to those players, but, um, you know, if you want to ask who actually has had the biggest impact, who's actually changed the game the most, um, who's actually changed the soul of attack the most. I mean, these days, halves are 
I suppose the run first and pass, I think Andrew Jen's that needs to come through, right? You know, the, the modern halfback runs first and passes second, right? Um, that's Benji. That's basically how you describe Benji, right? Um, a dangerous threat in attack from both the running, passing, and kicking po- and, and also kicking point of view. So for me, I feel like he and Peter Sterling are the two that I would say would go in there. I'm trying to think of other positions. Sometimes we think very uh, spine heavy. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there is there a dummy half in there at the moment, um, a modern style dummy half, because if you think about the, you know the dummy half role has changed significantly throughout the years, you know maybe a Cameron Smith or a Benny Elias or even Steve Walters can fit in there too. I mean I don't know if uh, you know so they've kind of changed that position a little bit, but but that would be uh, yeah. But I think those two are the ones that I would say, Doctor T, are, are, are what I think would probably should be the next models in my opinion. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's a, it's a good analysis there, and I'm looking at the immortals and just uh, the ones that are there at the moment: Clive Churchill, John Raper, Reg Gasnier, Bob Fulton, Graham Langlands, Wally Lewis, uh, then Arthur Beaton, Andrew Johns, uh, Daly Messenger, Frank Burge, Dave Brown, Norm Proven, Mal Meninga. You're right. When you look at the list, I Andrew Johns kind of stands out <laughs> in a way. I mean his uh, his skillfulness. Uh, you know, in playing multiple positions as well, and and what he brought to the halfback role, I think, is immense. So I, th- I can under, I do understand why he was included. Uh, it's not just about you know, uh, people tend to forget. Oh well, you know, there was that time where he was dominated by that one player in one game uh, in State of Origin or whatever. It's like okay, that may be the case. I mean, Mal Meninga was dominated <laughs> plenty of times in. You know, Wally Lewis was dominated by Brett Kenny. Um, he, in fact, Brett Kenny in at state of origin level, when he played against Wally Lewis, he was almost always never, never dominated by Wally Lewis. Whereas, uh, you know, we're talking about the greatest state of origin player of all time. And so, um, but yeah, when you look at, uh, Peter Sterling, I think it's not just how integral he was to the Eels success, uh, you know, because you, you will see, you know, before him, like he's when he started, they weren't really winning. And then, uh, you know, when he was there, though, you know, it sort of coincided with his career, um, their success. But to me, the key thing is that he also was one of the few players in history that uh, achieved on several occasions, like perfect games in terms of ratings uh, by, you know, like he, he had dominated. And I don't think anyone has come close to achieving, I think it was back then the Rugby League Week magazine would do like a rating score. And he, I think not once but twice, achieved a perfect 10 for, um, for I forget which games they were, but uh, games that he played in uh, the regular season. And, you know, as much as we, we talk about, say, Johns and others that dominated at state of origin level, like Wally Lewis, you know, he had no impact at all on on uh, the club scene. Um, all of his impact was at uh, state of origin level and and international level, which is you know obviously the pinnacle. But at club level, he did not do a, a thing. Whereas with Peter Sterling, uh, he's got highlights, you know, across all three kind of levels, and and especially at club at club level. He was dominant on several occasions. And, you know, again, if you're talking about, as you said, what is one thing that stands out? You look at, like, someone like Dave Brown. 
he had scoring records that were only recently broken. I think he may even have some scoring records that are still not broken. And this is like what ninety, you know, eighty, ninety years ago, whatever it was. Um, just unbelievable. So the you know there is something to be said, and I would agree with Phil Gould that Peter Sterling should be considered on that basis that he was like a step above the rest of his generation. Yes, he had a rivalry with like Steve Mortimer, but when it counted, when you look back at the results, he was definitely up there. So, um, but yeah, um, I, I don't know about Cameron Smith and Darren Lockyer. Again, Darren Lockyer, I think, would be the better option because of his domination at um, different uh, different positions. But anyway, but Chad, um, I think we can say Chad, he's got some good ideas, Chad. Thanks thanks for everything. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see whether we can ask him something next week and see what he comes up with. But very entertaining. Thanks, Chad. And now let's move on to tackle number six, the tips. All right. After three rounds, uh, you are on 15 points and I am on nine points, uh, having got four this week and you got five. This week, out of the eight, um, the uh, round four, uh, not a, I don't think it's a special round, certainly not been advertised as that, um, has some interesting mouth-watering lineups and games mm. and rivalry. Should It possibly should just be called rivalry round if it isn't already because it seems like there are some rivalries there that, that are going to be quite interesting. So let's start with Parramatta Eels versus Penrith Panthers, the Thursday night game. At Combank Stadium, I'm tipping the Eels to get their first win of the season. Yeah, I'm tipping Parramatta, but I've got to say that's two weeks in a row. The Eels have got to play the team coming off the bye, which I think makes not it fair. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of not fair. Yeah. yeah. No. All right. The Storm and the Tigers play the 6 p.m. Friday game at Amy Park. I'm tipping the Storm. Sorry, mate. Yep, that's fine. I'm going to tip the Storm as well. Uh, the Tigers uh, don't have to play in you know, 35-degree heat this week, but still not enough. <laughs> All right. The Battle for Brisbane is on a Friday, uh, the the main time at 8.05 at Suncorp Stadium, Dolphins v Broncos. Um, look, this could go either way. I think it'll be entertaining, that's for sure. Yeah. Wayne Bennett, never count him out, but I would go for the Broncos for this one. Yep. Sorry, just to correct you on the first game, I did – Panthers for the first game, I think. So, sorry. Oh, I, I thought sorry you said Parramatta. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Sorry about that. Panthers, yeah, just uh, yeah, just because I, I, I think the bye, I think it's really hard for Parramatta to win after Penrith had a week off. But that's all right. This, yeah, I must sorry. have misheard. But yeah, Dolphins, Broncos. Uh, like I said, yeah. Broncos. I think uh, even though uh, we've got Master Coach Wayne Bennett there, who may concoct a win for the Dolphins. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I just get the feeling the Broncos are kind of got a bit more momentum at this time. Yep, I'm going to tip the Broncos as well. Um, I think Felice Cafusi's, uh, you know, tackling has been awesome, but they're going to miss that a lot this week. All right, the Cowboys and the Titans are the Saturday 5:30 game at Queensland Country Bank Stadium. I'm tipping the Cowboys on this one. Oh, you know what? Let's tip the Titans. In the other Queensland army, so the uh, yeah. fair enough. All right, another another local derby, and this will be an interesting one. The or not, well, it's not really a derby, but a rivalry for sure. South Sydney versus Manly. 
uh, at a core stadium at Saturday, 7.30. It's going to be a big one. Hopefully, there's a big crowd there at that stadium. But I'm tipping the Rabbitohs to win this one. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Rabbitohs as well, uh, actually, yeah. All right, the New Zealand Warriors up against the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. Sunday, 2 p.m., Mount Smart Stadium. I think the Warriors at home will get through. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Bulldogs uh, for this one. I think they're warming up again. Fair enough. Uh, Knights and the Raiders at uh, Sunday, 4 p.m. at McDonald Jones Stadium in Newcastle. I'm tipping the Raiders to continue their winning ways. Mm, yeah, interesting one, but I'm going to tip the Knights for that one. Oh, wow. Okay. Um and finally, the local derby uh, down south here in Sydney, St. George Illawarra Dragons versus the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks at Net Strata Jubilee Stadium. It's a Sunday 6.15 p.m. game. Bit of an odd time uh, to, to do a traditional rivalry like this one. Very mm. odd scheduling for the NRL. I'm disappointed a little bit. But I think the Sharks, uh, for some reason, when you have Sunday night games, the Sharks pull through, I think. So Sharks are going to win this one. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Sharks as well. I think, uh, yeah, uh, Dragons have been a bit patchy. Well, I think the Sharks uh, have been a bit more consistent. Fair enough. All right, well, that's it. And the Roosters obviously have the bye, so good luck to the bye there against the Roosters. Um, <laughs> that wraps up the podcast for this week. Thanks very much, Tish. We've certainly covered a lot of ground. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed it out there. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, wherever. Uh, send us an email, ourrepublic at gmail.com if you have any suggestions. And uh, over to you, Tish, to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.